Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas, you will be timed. Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have, like, you know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. <laughs> a lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, yeah, you, you were different. And so much more. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast from TalkSport. This is Paul Hawksby. And Andy Jacobs. And this is the H&J Daily, some of the best bits of this afternoon's show. We had two comedians uh, in with us today. Uh, Kojo uh, Anim uh, was in Britain's Got Talent, uh, got the golden buzzer from Simon. Yeah. Funny man, big football fan, he joined us. Dane Baptiste. Yeah, Dane was in. Again, he's an Arsenal fan. We talked a bit of football with him and talked about his tour and uh, the way he came up through the ranks. Actually, there was a link between the two, as you'll discover. And uh, Ebony Rainford-Brent came in, uh, broadcaster, former England cricketer. She was uh, telling us about a, a new initiative they're working on, which is uh, very exciting. So, um, And we talked about a, a love of a musical instrument she's just taken up as well. Very true. That's right. So, there we are. Here it all is. Good afternoon, everyone. Good afternoon, Andy. I'll just get these two little bits yeah, out of the way. Good luck to Christian Eriksen. Been a fantastic player. 11 million quid well spent. The best, certainly, of all the bail money. Uh, a brilliant player. Shame it all went a bit pear-shaped the last six months. He yeah. did make it clear in the summer him and his missus wanted a different lifestyle. He could have gone to another club in the Premier League, uh, but he was never going to do that. He had a spell, didn't he, where he yeah. was fantastic Absolutely for a season fantastic. or two, it was under Potch, Certainly that season. part of that, yeah. yeah um, and was a, a wonderful player. It's a shame that it went slightly pear-shaped towards the end. Partly his fault because he lost that intensity in his game uh, and partly the club's fault for, for mm. dragging it out for quite as long as this. But again, chairman would say, job done, we've got more than we paid for him. Um, but I wish him well. He was fantastic for us, and it's you know, it's hope that we remember the good times and, and not maybe these last few weeks when he was getting a bit of clog from some some of the fans. Also, uh, Lascelles, the deal is interesting. I think the chairman, in doing it this way, Daniel Levy has probably saved anything between fifteen and twenty million quid if you take in the loan fee so far and how much they're playing for the player, from what we understand. Uh, that's quite a saving on what they would have played in the summer. Mm. Having said that, they effectively got him on the last day by taking it to, to the wire. And we've seen that period of adjustment that he had maybe could have been shunted a couple of months, uh, certainly a month, six weeks mm. further along, which we may have started to see the best of him under Maurizio Pochettino. Maybe Maurizio Manager Pochettino would yeah. still have been there if we'd seen some of that form earlier. And I know he was at the uh, Copper America and he couldn't have come, uh, but he certainly could have made the start of pre-season or pretty much the start of pre-season. I do like and him, been a Spurs he's, player a, he's got something about him. He's really you know, quite an so interesting player. If Spurs don't finish top four... You weigh up that 15 million quid, but, you know, they're the sort of um, 
that's the balancing act. Perhaps they only charge always. you 20 quid to see Southampton in the cup. Now. Well, maybe they will. I mean, I, I saw that yesterday. <laughs> for the Borough replay, they charged uh, £20 pounds for that game. <laughs> the Southampton replay, you, get, you know, it's... OK, it's a Premier League side, but he's clearly... The old chairman's looked at that and thought, oh, we got quite a good turnout for 20. Let's push it to 25 and see how we get on. <laughs> and, and I know the supporters trust aren't happy. You consider Southampton charged a tenner for tickets in the first game and got a full mm. house. He probably will get quite a lot of people turning up, a few tourists as well, prepared to, to play that. But, you know, just fleecing the fans for an extra fiver for an extra game, I think is a bit much, but, you know... I think it is. I'm, I'm sure he's also gagging to put all the prices up in the stadium. He must have a meeting every week with saying, can't we put a quid on the beer? They're saying, no, Daniel, don't, <laughs> because they'll all go back, they'll all <laughs> they'll go go back to, the to their old pubs. Yeah, yeah, they'll yeah. all go back and drink there. The only reason mm. they're having a meal or drinking in the ground is that the prices. Oh, can't 50p then? Um, he's desperate to do it, no doubt it's, he will. It's next a conundrum, season. Daniel Levy, because you know, on the one hand, Spurs wouldn't have this stadium, they wouldn't have been, you no, know, know. you picked posh, yeah, they probably wouldn't have got to the Champions League, all the good things that have happened, and yet taking that next step that becomes hard. It's when, a balance, when, when I'm sure it's that. a balancing act for all chairmen, but you get a situation, don't you, where you think, how far can we push this? Because you've got a captive audience. You know, if I don't like the fact that they're charging 25 mm. quid for a ticket or eight quid for a beer instead of five, I suppose I've got a choice to go and do that elsewhere. But ultimately, I can't choose another you're not team. Going to, you're not going to I can't think stuff this, I'll go and watch Arsenal. No. Um, so that's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, so, in terms that. of business, it's the dream business for a businessman, no, isn't it? You've got this audience that you've got this. They can't go and shop elsewhere, can they? So, they can't. What can they yeah, Absolutely. Uh, but actually, an interesting. Tie that now because Spurs, you know, this is an incentive, isn't it? I mean, you beat Norwich the other day, and if you beat Southampton, you're probably mm. going to get past Norwich at home, and then you're in the sixth round, and who knows? Anybody can win it. But it's a, it's a good draw because all the big teams have been kept apart. So it means the sixth round and the semi final should be full of top games. Can I just point out, Adrian Durham's just been in touch, and uh, I think uh, he's doing to me what people do to him. I think he's misheard me. Oh, he really? says, Keep Ericsson, and you'll get top four, really. It's not what I said, Adrian. I said if La Celso had got there earlier, it could have been a very, very different mm. chain of events, couldn't it, yeah. really? And Ericsson maybe could have gone earlier uh, and we wouldn't have had this this period of time. That's true. Adrian's not here today. He's off to, with his lad to see Accrington um, versus Peterborough this evening. Oh, good. So we'll enjoy it. Hope he has a good night. Andy Goldstein will be in for him this afternoon yes. at four. Now, uh, I love that. I've discovered it this morning because of the Grammy-winning album by Billie Eilish. It's really, the music's great. I wasn't really you're, aware you're of her music. You're a big Billie Eilish fan, are you? Yeah, I am. Well, uh, one other thing I like doing I think is, you are very much the target audience. I think I, I think am. when she sings songs, she has very much you in mind, Andy. She closes her eyes and thinks of her, her core listener. Well, perhaps she knows what my game that I like to play. I like to put her photo next to members of the aristocracy. I'm getting a bit worried here. And I ask people to tell me if it's posh or Eilish. Oh, OK. I thought it was heading down that Come route. Come on. Yeah, okay, that's very good. <laughs> to last night's game very quickly. Mm. I've got time. Yes, very quickly. Yeah. Um, I thought Arsenal, quite interesting actually. I thought yeah. they, you can see Pep's influence in the way Arsenal want, want to play. It can only be a good thing. And it, part of the time, in the first half, it was like a City-like display. It was like City against a League One team. Bournemouth were just so poor in that first half. But... Uh, in the end, they played a bit better. There's no question somebody will buy Nathan Aki if Bournemouth do go down. He, he had a good game, and uh, mm. I think... <laughs> You're in the box seat there again. No, uh, no, it's only this window. And that's oh, it. really? It's, that's uh, it? That's it. They don't buy him this window, which they obviously don't fancy him, so they're not going to. Well, so. How much could you get him? Was it 40, 40 million? million? Yeah. Okay. 
I think it'd be a good buy, but yeah. he, he likes Christensen. I like Tamori myself out of all of them, but there you go. Uh, Bournemouth needed more than a sermon last night. They needed the Lord's Prayer followed by the last rites. I think. <laughs> nice. Thank you. That's beautiful. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, they were poor, Honestly, weren't they, especially first half. <laughs> Gwendouzi had a good game. We'll talk to Matt Scott about him tomorrow. I think there's something special about him. He's a, he's a really decent player. He had a terrific... I thought he was mad at the match last night, despite his very strange running style, which is what you... That sort of thing you do when you're pretending you're flying. Mm. In a sort of pantomime way, that's his running style. But someone asked Martin Atkinson how many fouls Gwendouzi had given away, and, and Atkinson, you could hear him clearly say two. You think, two? <laughs> it was a lot more than two. But there you go. They they had chances, Bournemouth, in the second half. But uh, in that game, it was like a battlefield, wasn't it? There's so many injuries, and with a fussy VAR, it lasted a hundred minutes and twelve yeah. seconds. That is far too long for a game of football. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast from Talksport. Paul Hawksby, Andy Jacobs here on Talksport. Kojo uh, Anim was on Britain's Got Talent. He got golden buzzers. I remember it well. Straight through, thanks to Simon, uh, who uh, who loved him. He's touring and he's joined us in the studio. Kojo, good to see you. Good afternoon, guys. I'm not used to saying good afternoon, actually. It's yeah. normally good evening. It's normally good. That's right. <laughs> yeah. normally in bed at the moment. Yeah, exactly. This is night time for but me. People think, oh, you just sort of rocked up and did a few gags and you'd never done a gig in your life before Britain's Got Talent. But mm. you were a 20 year overnight sensation, weren't you? Yeah, man. It's. Um, I think I kind of represented those who um, have just been plucking away, never really moaning about maybe lack of opportunities or whatever and just keeping your head down really and I think um, it's kind of a testament to those kind of people as well because not everyone's uh, you know disappointed per mm. se do you know what I mean but after a while it gets to a place where you may have done all you physically can as a one man band you know and then you need a little bit more exposure and then when Britain's Got Talent presented itself it was just I think perfect timing for me really Did you worry about because there's, there's a kind of balancing act isn't there there's a what made you go for Britain's <clears throat> Got Talent purely because you felt you kind of needed a sort of big sort of shop window like that did you worry about the well, message that might send it seems a bit gimmicky or something yeah or I mean listen man I, I was I, I am my audience so mm. I questioned it a thousand times yeah, you know? yeah. there was more reasons not to do it than to do it to be yeah. fair but I think when you are in that position I think you got to go for it because mm. I think you know great risk great reward you know sure. and, and to be fair I hadn't taken many risks until this point so I don't think I would have gone through my whole career without having to take one and why not do it on national television and I think I didn't really go on a show to prove to myself if I was funny or anything like that it was more like you know to make sense of everything I'd done before that yeah do you know what I mean because you often get talent that go on shows like this and then you know they win for example and then you never hear from them again in 12, 12 months do you know what yeah. I mean and I, I'd never really worried about that with me because I think I've got staying power based on what I'd done before these people to approach me and see if I was interested in doing the show meant they didn't know anything that I'd done. Sure. So yeah. I get to be like this new guy with 20 years experience. Yeah. You know, to you know the general I mean? public though, you probably were. And I, do, I think it's bold because a comedian on Britain's Got Talent is a real difficulty because if you think about a top comic doing an hour often he'll have a warm-up you know or if it's a tv show he'll warm up the audience yeah whereas here you come on you've got three minutes is it or whatever three minutes that's man. pretty hard from you know and people have got to like you instantly otherwise they're not going to find you funny so it's difficult to hit did you sort of you must have really thought about how you're going to make that impact in the three minutes i'm glad we're on talk sport because i'll tell you what it was it was like the longest penalty ever <laughs> like, like I, I got there at 8am in the morning and I went on stage at 9pm wow 
So the amount of times my material changed, <laughs> really? I thought about changing my name. <laughs> like literally, like, I, and then I honestly just went on there and whatever came to me, I just went with it. I just kind of thought to myself, look, trust yourself. Yeah. This is what you do. You know what I mean? Don't worry about the judges. I don't mm. perform in front of judges. I perform in front of audiences. So just give it to the audience. They're the main judge. And um, and you get it right with them, then the, the judges will follow, really. Mm. You were a pretty decent footballer, as far as I read. You you, had, you were a kind of school of I mean, excellence. weren't we all? No, but I, I understand. <laughs> we you. all had trials, didn't but we? You, <laughs> you, you, but you were a kind of school of excellence, playing with some good players. Mm. Uh, I mean, I, something I read, you said you felt maybe your attitude wasn't right at that yeah, time. Yeah, um, so I was kind of around the same age as like Michael Owen and people like that. And school of excellence was like years ago, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, was like, that Lillishaw, was yeah, it? Lillishaw, yeah, Lillishaw, yeah. So you were there, were so, you? Well, this is what happened so mm. i i done the trials and got recommended by like one of my headmasters actually and um yeah done the trials and then getting through doing well um, and i was kind of yeah i'm from hackney east london so like there, there was a pool of us that went and um yeah got through and then uh, i decided to go to notting hill carnival didn't i <laughs> because that's where the real games were right <laughs> and then i kept on lying to myself i kept on lying to myself saying that yeah man I'll, we had a game that day we had a game pre-season game and um and i didn't show up and then I, oh. I came up with this horrible excuse and everyone knew where i was and then literally i think from then the decline happened straight away because i, I was like training but i wasn't you know, able to really get into the first team. I really yeah. had a bad attitude. I was gifted, but I was had the wrong mentality. And I think that was the defining moment in my life because I swore to myself, whatever I was blessed with next, I would never, ever lack, lack, lack discipline in it. And I think that's what's allowed my comedy career to... Interesting, well. interesting. What made you take up comedy? When did you first do it? Just an open night, that sort of thing? Do you know what? I was in, um, I was in America, actually, and I was... Um, when I, when I got kicked out of football, um, I went to America and did a, a program called Camp America. Because mm -hmm. one of my yeah. backup plans is always to be a school teacher um, in like drama and English. And um, yeah, and then uh, I, I, working with kids out there. And then on the weekend, uh, I got a DVD of Martin Lawrence doing stand up. And at the time, I had no idea what stand up comedy was. But I just saw him on stage and then I stopped seeing him after 15 minutes and thought, I could do that. You know what I mean? I was, <laughs> I was always fun, funny with the football team in school do you know what i mean i was never really like a clown i was more like a witty person so i got in trouble more for what i said than what i did yeah but um but yeah i started um did a workshop with um, a fellow comedian now called rudy liquid who um had a comedy school did that for like two months in camden and then started performing i think the first yeah i started doing the universities stuff um, that's where a lot of people really build their audiences anyway. Mm. And then, yeah, just kind of took it from there, really. You you also had a comedy club that you set up, and you had quite a lot of the big American guys yeah. who come over over the years, yeah. and like Dave Chappelle and stuff. Chappelle, Kevin Hart. Wow. Um, wow. There's, a, there's, a, uh, there's a famous clip on YouTube. <coughs> Excuse me. Like, before viral was even viral. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think we had the first one. But um, Dave Chappelle was, like, missing. Absolutely gone missing. Um, obviously, you know, he walked away from his fifty million pound deal that everyone knows about, and then he pops up in this little dingy club in the West End, <laughs> and then he tries to smoke <laughs> while he's performing, and the security tells me he can't smoke, and he goes, "Wow, like not even not even famous people," <laughs> um, and, and and it just went viral, and I think that moment 
kind of opened the doors for Kevin Hart coming in and Chris Rock coming in and all these others. So, wow. So yeah, I, I just started an innocent comedy club because I just wanted somewhere to perform every week and then it just took a um, journey of and, and Britain's Got Talent has made the difference. I mean, you're touring, you're about to go on tour, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. First first UK tour, I think that was my victory to myself, to be honest. I wanted to, at the end of this, be able to just go on my own tour. Um, I feel like I've got the necessary tools. I've done the, the apprenticeship. I've done the work. I've been of service to other comedians, you know what I mean? And and there's, a lot of my peers have just gone and flown by without without me kind of being on the same same position as them and I think also is Britain's Got Talent was my my journey yeah do you know what I mean because some people go and do Hammersmith Apollo they'll go Edinburgh Festival and that's their that, that, that's their path but for me Britain's Got Talent really just propelled my career and now I'm on a, I'm on a platform that I hope to maintain fantastic and so you the dates are all you're on social media Koji and you can find you on Twitter and everything can't yep. we yep. all the dates are there it's the taxi tour uh, you're kicking off in Birmingham, is that right? Yeah, next yeah, Birmingham, month. yeah, Birmingham. Start next month, and then uh, right around the country. There's, there's places there, what, have you've uh, you've never played before, I want to imagine, Absolutely. isn't Absolutely, there's some of them I can't even pronounce. <laughs> <laughs> Clanethley. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no, that, that's good. <laughs> that's good. Yarm. Yeah. Yarm is apparently near, near Middlesbrough. Middlesbrough yeah. yeah, that's right, yeah, yeah Stockton. Yeah. You're playing Stockton, aren't you? You're up there, so, oh, terrific. So, uh, yeah, I'm all over the South. They know you, though, aren't they? So it's yeah, got to be, be involved. Yeah, like, we've sold a lot of tickets. We've yeah, sold sure. a lot of tickets, and I'm, I'm just blessed and thankful that, you know, it's been a year since Britain's Got Talent, you know what I mean? And now it's like... Where people are still interested, you know, and and it just goes to show that we just keep working hard. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, man, I'm excited. Uh, you're a Liverpool fan as well. Yes. And it's uh, all it's all going to be a great year. I think. <laughs> well, I think it is it's going to be a great year. Well. There's, there, it's there's no jeopardy, really, is there? I mean, you can't. Will we? Won't we? It's going to be none of those sort of you know Gerard slip moments. It's in the bag. It's just a matter of when, isn't it? Really, although the players and the manager won't say that. You, we all know it is, really. I, I think if I'm in a, that Liverpool team at the moment, I think, you know, we've got to keep winning every game, man, and so that we can get a rest. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Because, you know what, if we win this really early and, like, and like win it as like early as anyone's ever done it, we might take the Champions League as well. I'm also fascinated what happens to Liverpool once they win it, mm. whether they ease up, which I don't think they will because they want to go unbeaten the whole season. But it'll be interesting. It's hard to have that same intensity once you've won it. It'll be yeah. it. And then with all the other games they've got to play against the other teams who need stuff with relegation. And have they worked four, out the game yet? I, I should know this, but have they worked out the game where it's math mathematically impossible for it's them to a, be caught? It's something like ten, eight or nine games yeah, time. Nine games time, but yeah. I think it's the one before Man City. Ah, okay. Yeah, but a lot depends if other people lose. So if yeah, other teams of course. Lose, oh, each yeah. time somebody but else loses, then, you know, less games that they have. Well, i tell you win. what, if you're under 16, this is a great time to be at Liverpool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, might, you might get a first team game. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You'll probably find there's this period where you've got a lot of people from out there. Why Liverpool for you then, Koji, before we let you go? Well, why did you support them um, as an East London boy? Um, do you know what? My older cousin, um, Leslie, <clears throat> he was just a huge <clears throat> Liverpool fan and I idolised him. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And he was kind of my first intro to like wanting to even like fall in love with football, to be honest, because we'd, we'd go outside on the estate and just kick, kick around. Um, and yeah, he was a great striker and I really liked football because of him. And then, yeah, he supported Liverpool, so I was going to support Liverpool too. Oh, okay. but, but the normal reason I tell people is I grew up on Liverpool Street. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've been getting away with that for years. So quite <laughs> well, good to see you, Kojo. Best of luck with the Thank tour. Thank you very Kojo. much for having me, guys. Thanks for coming in. Uh, Kojo and him there, catch the taxi tour 
all the dates available uh, online and uh, via what, what's your how do we get in touch with you on, on Twitter then Kojo uh, Kojo Anim live on everything oh, and my website is kojoanim.co.uk nice one thanks very much Cheers, guys. the Hawksby and Jacobs daily podcast selling a little or a lot Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now. And we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas, you will be timed. Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have like, you know, a healthy fear of Real extreme darkness. <laughs> a lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, yeah, you, you were different. And so much more. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast. Joining us now, back-to-back comedians. In fact, there is a link between the two. Uh, Dane Baptiste makes a welcome return. Dane, good afternoon. Good afternoon. How are you doing, Ian? Good, thanks. You, mm. uh, uh, Kojo was just telling us that uh, one of your very early gigs was at his comedy club. First one ever. First one ever. Was first it? one ever. Yeah, yeah. October twenty sixth, two thousand and six, and that was my first one ever. Is uh, we used to go to the comedy club on Sunday, and then I was like, I like this, and then my friend was like, Well, you should do it, and then told Kojo, and he said, You got two weeks. <laughs> so you you not worked up you you just you worked up a set for a couple of weeks and then went up and did it yeah and just did five minutes wow and uh, had a bunch of school friends there as well and uh, yeah it was a really a weird did you get a good reaction I did and it was a weird serendipitous kind of uh, phenomenon how it all came together like people from past present and I guess some people from future were there when I performed but it went it went well went really well uh, and then I had another gig which also went really well and then made the schoolboy error of assuming that people would just laugh at anything I say <laughs> and the third one was not a charm right and uh, yeah and then uh, I probably left comedy for a couple of years while I was working and then uh, decided uh, yeah sometime after the credit crunch about uh, late 2009 that next year I was gonna quit my job and uh, oh. And pursue it in earnest. So that that night when you went to Kojo's club and you thought I'd like that. So, but had you ever th- thought before about giving it a try or not? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I I I'd grown up on com- comics and stuff as well. Mm. I think I, I probably my first entrance into comedy was watching like a lot more the sketch shows like in the old day, like Halen Pace and the Russ Abbott oh. show. Well, yeah, uh, like French and Saunders and Big Train and and then uh, Red Dwarf. I was a big fan. Fist of Fun with Stuart Lee. 
Um, so yeah, I was really definitely a comedy nerd. And mm. then uh, large, because I'm a dual resident of the UK and the States, so I spend some time over there, some time over here. Right. So I was a real big fan of like uh, the Wayans brothers who did like the scary movie franchise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They used to parody loads of films. White and chicks. They had a sketch show as well. White chicks yeah. as well. Yeah. So they had a lot of sketch show. Then they had a sketch show called In Living Color, mm, which that, I was yeah. really into as well. And then we had uh, BET on our cable box. So we used to get like comic views. So we see like the comics come up and then that became Def Jam. So I used to just take it in all the time. Just that in the UK, I just didn't really see any way of pursuing it myself. So I guess I came, became somewhat of a closet comedian. Definitely a class clown. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just uh, remained a closeted creative because I was afraid of how people would view me and how my parents, whether or not they'd accept my life choices. <laughs> and then sometime around the year 2010, I came out to my parents and my friends about wanting to be a comedian. Okay, and the, yeah, <laughs> the reaction was pretty similar. Well, not under this roof. <laughs> yeah. it's a, you followed a, the more traditional route, haven't you? You've done the circuit, you've done Edinburgh, you've done all those sort of things yeah. live at the Apollo. Whereas Kojo did that, or well, did that, but yeah. then but we was interesting just chatting to yeah. him about that because he said he had as many doubts. He asked himself, should he do Britain's Got Talent? Would that kind of affect the way his career was going? Would it be about the way he, people perceive you? It, it, yeah, yeah. it worked for him though. Clearly. It did, yeah. yeah, and, yeah. I, and I think you know sometimes you have to use tactics that win. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, for me, it was, I guess, maybe I had the inverse problem where I was like, I wasn't sure how I was able to progress because uh, Kojo was like a very integral part of that scene. If he mm. was like work out as Lucas Herbs and market share like he was providing a lot of opportunities there for myself and a lot of my peers um, but I guess it was the gigs for me were kind of few and far between and I felt I had to make up for the lost time where I'd left comedy for so long and uh, yeah I wanted to fill the time and remain busy so I guess I got to a point where you know I guess Kojo's uh, had started off in the circuit which was a lot more uh, rooms with predominantly uh, black audiences and mm-hmm. whereas myself uh, I would do the same as well but I hadn't really been aware of the distinction because I think he'd been a lot more instrumental in forming that scene and that had been composed of his friends and stuff and obviously people he'd met in other social paradigms where he was like going out clubbing and the like whereas for me it was like well that's established and I just need to get good very quickly mm-hmm. so it was really just leaving no stone unturned just no stone unturned so far as going to different places and yeah just working out uh, where I could get up what could work what works for me and so yeah I just went through the traditional path and I guess another reason why was because as I'm sure Kojo said as well, it's very, uh, it's very seldom that I saw people that look like myself mm-hmm. that were in these positions as well. And you know, so I was like, well, I'll, I don't see it. And like I said, I was a, always a comedy nerd and everyone I looked up to had gone along the same path. And, you know, like Jack D had started live at the Apollo and I kind of liked it, especially like his whole deadpan kind of demeanor when he delivered. Yeah, yeah. So I'm very similar in that respect. So for me, it just made sense that I was, it was just for me, I just guess it was like, if I'm going to do this, I need to do it everywhere and as often as possible. Sure. And, you know, I guess the idea is when you're trying to enter you, a market is make yourself ubiquitous. Mm. You mentioned your dual nationality. Have you, I mean, have you worked in America a lot? I've done a few gigs there. Uh, so, and uh, in the States, and then I did some work at the Just For Last Festival a couple of years ago in Montreal. Um, but yeah, I definitely, I recently became official about, officially a US resident just shy of like eight years ago. Oh, okay. So now that I don't have, to, I can circumvent any working visas as far as I know then I'm going to spend a lot more time there and do a lot more work there as well. But um, yeah, Mm. I'm in the process of uh, developing a sitcom I'd written for the BBC, which is now potentially be reformatted for uh, US producers, so Lionsgate, so I'm working with them. Um, And yeah, and just continuing to work with other comics from the States and, and doing gigs there as often as possible. So you're just beginning to build there too. And your new tour, uh, the Chocolate Chip. Yeah, um, that's a serious message, doesn't it? Really, as well as being funny, of course. Yeah, which is I, th- I think most uh, uh, things said in jest have a level of seriousness to them. So my show is basically about uh, 
dealing with anger and I guess it's because when I discuss some of the topics I discuss in previous works then uh, some people will say you know the common of people say you have a chip on your shoulder mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so in the spirit of millennials now embracing their the quirks or the uh, uniqueness of their body imagery whether it's like rather than fat shaming people people embrace their curves and we all have different physiology I'm exactly the same as that like you know there is a name for you know my angst or my paranoia or my previous trauma and I just rather call it my chocolate chip and embrace it and be like you know yeah sometimes I do get a bit angry and sometimes that anger is justified and sometimes that anger has been beneficial because it's been the catalyst for me changing my life like, yeah, for yeah. example mm-hmm. I was angry about how I was treated at work before I started doing comedy I was angry about potential prospects I was angry about figurative glass ceilings but I'm like yeah that anger was the fuel I needed to change my situation and get to the position I'm in now so mm-hmm. sometimes it's a valid part of the uh, of the spectrum and I also feel like if people listen and you're able to see past my complexion and, and who I am, then if you listen to the narrative, you'd probably agree with a lot of the stuff I'm angry about. Yeah, uh, and using that anger to drive yourself forward is, yeah, is, a, is a great way of being successful. For, for sure. And, I, and also I just think sometimes uh, some of the more uh, progressive social revolutions that humanity has had came from, began with anger as the catalyst. You know, we have Magna Carta and we had agrarian reforms in our country and regular people can own homes and property because we've got to play where it's like I'm angry that I'm at the behest of a feudal law that might be corrupt or you know we have discussions because people are angry about how they're treated because we don't get you know a fair share because we're not within you know the monastery and we're not a part of religion or we're not a part of the elite so you know French Revolution was like people like we can't feed ourselves we're angry about it this has to change and sometimes anger can proceed uh, progress. Are you less angry at, at Arsenal than you were uh, in um, the last few months? I am less angry. And yeah. I am actually less angry at Arsenal because, you know, I feel like uh, a lot of Arsenal's uh, trajectory was being guided by stakeholders rather than fans and people that actually have an investment in the club. Mm. And I think we discussed before, I'm like, the problem being is that if we still remain, stay in this limbo where we still appear lucrative because we're earning from revenue streams of merchandise sales as well as uh, being in the Champions League and television rights from that, then stakeholders don't really care if we're not going to finish top of the table if their dividend's still the same. Whereas now Arsenal in a position whereby they now have to fight for a relevant or credible place within the league and by that same token if they have to get into you know the European League. Which means now people have to work and pay attention to what's happening. So yeah, again, people being angry. Yeah. And also I think, you know... But you had a way to vent that anger, though. Then you have those, those kind of those uh, AGMs that all the fans would go to, and they'd get in front of the directors, and sometimes in front of the manager, and they could vent. And I think that helped them. Whereas now, with old silence, then that that window was gone. I, mean, I imagine that must be a frustration as well, as supporters in a club. Yeah, yeah some, somewhat frustrating. But I really feel like there are now people in positions of power in Arsenal who have a vested interest in the club, uh, kind of rejuvenating. Mm. So well, see how it goes, but. At the same time, I try not to get too angry back because I, I, I guess in the last time we spoke, I've probably learned more to be, have a lot more emotional investment in the things I can, can control. Yeah, that's true. Where you do you know, stand on Arsenal fan TV? I mean, do you, do you like it? And do you, some people? I mean, we know Robbie really well. We, yeah, yeah. he's fun. He's a good bloke. But a lot of people are critical. A lot of people say it's just Schadenfreude. People just go on YouTube and they can't wait. I, I do this. I can't wait for Arsenal to lose and then see how Claude's you know absolutely yeah. blowing his top. But I mean. What do you feel about it? I think, you know, it's it's all... I, I think it all comes under the same umbrella of online content. It's, it represents democratisation and uh, some a lot of fans, they don't get a voice and so that voice kind of works for them. So 
even if it some of it does come across as nonsense, you know, broken clock is uh, right twice a day. So, <laughs> you know, and, and, I, and I just think sometimes uh, I look at it just outside of even being within the, uh, uh, you know, I guess within outside of the whole sports aspect of it that, you know, some everyone has, everyone has an axe to grind. Sure. So me personally, so far as like my work, like Arsenal TV kind of reinforced the part of me because, you know, people will have stuff on their chest they need to get off and mm. having an avenue to do that, which doesn't cause any physical harm or loss to anybody. But you wouldn't want, you want Claude and Robbie outside your gigs afterwards. <laughs> Disgusting. <laughs> well, it depends. If, if they were there every time, then it means they're real fans. Yeah, so I, at, some, at some point, I'd be like, I'd probably talk to them directly and be like, what's the problem here? Dame Baptiste TV. <laughs> first half. What happened in the first half? That'd be great, wouldn't it? Yeah. Um, good to fun. see you, Dane. Thanks for coming in. No, thank Thanks, you for having Dame. me. Really appreciate it, guys. Uh, chocolate chip. Uh, that will include two weeks at London Soho Theatre and you're around uh, the UK as well, aren't you? And tickets go on sale. Well, are they on sale tickets now? Tickets are on sale now. First show is at uh, the South Street Arts Centre in Reading and then yeah, I have a two week residency at the Soho Theatre from the 6th to 20th of March uh, and then yeah we'll continue with a, a national tour so please check out danebaptiste.co.uk for relevant dates and if you have any friends abroad uh, I'll also be doing some gigs in continental Europe to be announced and uh, we'll be at the Sydney Comedy Festival nice. in April as well as uh, in Perth as well Excellent. Yeah. Lovely to see you. You too, guys. Come in again. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast from TalkSport. Do you want this week's Daily Star story lifted from Peter Grouch's podcast? Oh, yeah, yeah. They have one every week, don't they? Pulitzer Prizes all round, please. Yeah. Uh, Peter Crouch had to flush his daughter's pet goldfish down the toilet when it died just two days after buying it for her. That's a great story, isn't it? Is that uh, they led with that? Yeah. (laughs) It's got to be good. There's a new coffee that's out that costs £30 a cup. I've seen this, yeah. yeah. But it's, it's where it comes from, though, isn't it? I know, where but does it come from? Birds, droppings. That's it, yeah. It's a very strange idea, this, because it's not the only type of coffee that, that passes through an animal. There's the, the sort of civet, you know, the cat. This I is think all... I would civet, definitely. <laughs> He's gone for an animal. But what is it about? This comes from the Jakku bird, doesn't it? Yeah. Or is it? Or no, it's not. That's the name of the restaurant. It comes. <laughs> no, it does. It <laughs> comes from yes. the, the Jakku. It eats berries, oh, and yeah. then basically once once they've gone through the old system, um, it's and a bit odd that the, the coffee the, beans the restaurant's the got the same pits. name as the bird. Isn't yeah, they've it? named it. It's, it's their signature it? coffee. It's going to open in uh, Westminster. I have to bring you a oh, cup in one day. I'll do a detour on the way in, in, into uh, the studio. I always Andy. think about these things, and no matter how Actually, good it is, quite a cup. I don't know about that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No matter how good it is, in the end, it's like wine. In the end, it is just coffee. It yeah. doesn't matter how good it is, and it could be fantastic, but there's only a limit to how fantastic it can be. Because it's coffee. Yeah, you've, you got to, you've got to view it like a fine wine or a good cigar. It'll still taste like coffee. But anyway, I'm, I'll, I don't think I'll give it a go. Okay, Andy, not for th- So I do it for a bit of a laugh, but not for that. Do you want to hear a just a minute? So Nicholas Parsons has died. Oh, yeah. He was a guest in the studio back in the day. He was a kind of legend of broadcasting. The man not only gave us just a minute, but sale of the century for many years. It was a wonderful career. I mean, tremendous. Uh, grew up with, and uh, he did. How long did he do just a minute for? When did he take the gig on? He took it on Over 50 December years. 1967. And his last show was last September at the age of 95. Uh, I, I knew someone who used to produce just a minute for in the 80s, mm. and he told me a story once that he always felt that they would they would they should throw in to produce a score. It should be a uh, thing that you have to handle as a scenario. One of these things to say, what would you do if, mm. to see if you're suited to the role of radio producer? Uh, so this was, uh, he told me that... Uh, Try it on Jamie. 
Nicholas Parsons was ill yeah. for... I mean, he wouldn't know the people involved. He's oh, yeah. very young. But Nicholas Parsons was ill for a couple of weeks, and he was ill quite late before a recording. Mm. Kenneth Williams, who was a store on that show, the legendary Kenneth Williams, oh, yeah, Carol yeah, yeah. Schools, stepped in and hosted the show, I think, for a couple of weeks because he was off. Yes. So he phones up Pete, who was producing it then, who I knew, and said, um, oh, I really enjoyed that, Pete. I've decided I want to be the presenter from now on. Oh, thank you very much. But <laughs> he, was, he wasn't particularly... They lost, you know, they kind of... They lost him in his best position, which was as a, mm. as a player in the teams. Yeah, it's like, you know, player, and then he becomes the player-manager, and so then he, he becomes said, the manager. Yeah. You've got this bloke, very, he was decided now that he wants to... I've mm. had enough of being a panelist. I want to present it. I've enjoyed that for two weeks. And so he said, the Well, it was probably easier, wasn't it? Well, I don't know, but it wasn't so much that. He just enjoyed the gig and he got it in his head there. Mm. No one would kind of question it. So Pete had to talk him down, effectively go in and say, and you know, butter him up a bit and say, Of course, you're so important to us as a panelist. But that's it. Nicholas Parsons would have lost the gig. That wouldn't have been these, good. You know, 20 years in. Good loyalty from Kenneth Williams here. That's why you stab him in the back. <laughs> well, it wasn't so... Tremendous. He just, oh, maybe he thought old Nicholas Parsons would become a panellist. But yeah. no, he had, to, he had to talk him down, had to talk him round. And uh, amazing, isn't it? But yeah, anyway, he, good, he good did, producing there. He did a chat show in Edinburgh, didn't he? Sort of in the latter oh. part of his life, the last few years, which was very, very popular. And uh, a man who wore a cravat. The only other man I know wears a cravat is our producer, John Cadigan. You can carry it off. Yeah, And not many men can carry off a cravat, can they? Simon are. Jordan, you reckon, wears a cravat? Does he really? I've, I've never, was seen, he? I've I've never seen, seen that. Does he wear cravat with cravat ring? That's all. That's a look that's, that's gone, isn't it? The old gold ring around the cravat. You don't see that anymore, do you? Not Simon idea. Jordan could carry that off. Well, he could. He could come in dressed in the full Peter Wingard. Look him up, kids. <laughs> look him up. Anyway, yeah, the great Nicholas on. Parsons there. We did enjoy having him in uh, a bit of a broadcasting legend, but there we are. The Hawksby and Jacobs daily podcast from TalkSport. Joining us in the studio now, former England cricketer turned broadcaster and drummer. Yes. More on that in a moment. <laughs> Uh, available for, uh, I don't know, weddings and stuff mm. like that. If you need looking for a drummer, um, Ebony Rainford, Brent, good to see Hello, you. Hello, I am available. Yeah. Right. Have you played? I mean, you said you took it up about a year ago. Yeah. Right? I played a little bit at school and we had like a horrendous band, you know, that sort of school band. And then yeah. it just died a death with playing cricket. Um, so I got into it about a year ago, but I have, um, yeah, I'm keen. Like I've had a few pro drummers give me some lessons and yeah, a guy from Maccabees, um, Woody, is, but he's one of the drummers there. He's been hooking me up. I've met some pro. So, Give it a couple of years, right. and I am a drummer for hire. Have you got a, a, a beginner on the drums? Um, unless you've got a soundproof room, not the greatest, is it? How no, have you got around that? I've got an electric kit. I've got both. I've got oh. an electric kit, and then my proper kit stays, unfortunately, like packed up on the side. So, oh, okay. Um, the dream and living in central London is not happening, is it? It's just, it's not <laughs> you've got neighbours close now. I have, but luckily, the way my building, my flat, sort of hangs out over it, so you, it's not connected to any walls. So I've got away with it. I've got yeah. away with it. I had a set of drums uh, years ago, and I was probably about 10. I bought a kind of second-hand set. I thought I'd try my hand at it. And I, I had a shed at the end of the garden. And I would go in there and practice. Oh, yeah. And one day, a, a rock came through the window. <laughs> <laughs> we never worked out. It was a bit like the grassy oh, knoll. I, I wonder what. It was yeah, the grassy was, knoll. We never worked out which neighbour it was. It wasn't one of your folks, was it? <laughs> I, was looking, I, was, I, I didn't look at it. It wasn't like sort of uh, Dallas. So it didn't look forensically enough at the angle of the stone. But we had our, we had our uh, yeah. suspicion. You took the hint, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's not why we've got you in there. No, thank you. We will talk cricket at the moment. But we're going to talk about the programme you're involved with. Uh, with Surrey. Yeah, yeah, it's good to talk about it. It's called the ACE programme. So 
So um, we launched it today. It's called the African Caribbean Engagement Programme. So anyone who's a cricket fan would have seen Joffrey Archer come this year and it's like, look, amazing. Hmm. I think it, it sort of begged the question, why are we not seeing more black players come through? You look at football and you see... Uh, them come through the system. You look at rugby, even mm. athletics, but for for some reason, cricket, we're not engaging the population. So we decided to launch a scholarship. Like we're going hunting for talent. Like yeah, if someone's yeah. listening and they've got a kid, boy or girl, eleven to eighteen, we're we're going looking for talent. So there's, that's the plan, really. There's a great history of black cricketers playing for England. Devon Malcolm. I wanted to go and name them all, but there's been loads of them. And, yeah. and but the sport itself has had to fight, even in the Caribbean. For, mm. I mean, yeah. I was saying the first time I ever went to uh, Barbados, I was quite shocked with the amount of guys that said, I don't really play a lot of cricket, I've mainly played mm. basketball. That's a huge sport. So even there, you haven't got maybe the pool of talent to choose yeah. from. You want about 15, 20 years ago. I think one thing that I think cricket hasn't done, which other sports have done, football goes out. You look at some of the community mm. work, they go out and find talent. Rugby's mm. done the same. Athletics... Um, and you're right, you know, it might not be a first choice. I don't think it's a first choice for a kid. If if you're, you know, a Londoner and you're 11 years old at the moment, you turn on your TV and you see Raheem Sterling, but you don't really see... So I, I don't think kids are looking for it. I think that cricket doesn't seem like an option, but if I'm honest, when I would have put the opportunity that I yeah. looked into it... Yeah, but it's, you know, it's a very... If you look at the, the very lucrative way of life, isn't it, mm. as well? If you look at cricket now as, as a chance, if you're going to take up a sport... I mean, look at someone like Chris Gower, I'd go going around the world playing cricket. Huge it's money. a very rich man. So, you know, if you're good at it, if you're good at cricket, it's a, it's a very good living, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I mean, there's so many, so many things to, to enjoy about the sport. And like you say, there's that T20 leagues now, there's the 100 competition coming, you could play in international you could play like there's so many opportunities out there so you're right I think if I was a, a parent at the moment I would mostly think football because that's what you know but you might not be aware that you know you could do pretty well they're making good money and you know the Chris Gales the Andre Russells they are cashing in right now I'm sure Joffrey Archer is going to continue to cash in as well yeah we've done over the years we've done a lot with Chance to Shine it's a brilliant mm. thing I mean what about them do they find that they're not getting a lot of black kids coming through yeah so what I think is interesting and I think their early reach programs do. They engage kids through some of the programs. We're not seeing the transition into the clubs, though. So they're enjoying the game. Um, but I think there needs to be a little bit of support just to understand that, you know, maybe there'll be cultural differences or maybe um, you've got to sell the game slightly mm. differently. And actually, we're sitting down with Chance to Shine tomorrow just to see what we can do to dovetail this these sort of programs. So what's good about us launching it today, I think it's opened up the conversation. A lot of people are like, right, what can we do to, to bring that through? I mean, you look at the numbers. Uh, Telegraph will write about it today. Mm. But in, um, there are nine black players in men's county cricket in 2019. There were 33 in 1994 and there were three in women's county cricket there's no coaches in men's county cricket or members of an England Wales cricket board or Afro-Caribbean yes yeah, dire isn't that it that is quite stunning actually yeah. Yeah. and the other thing I'll chuck in I mean to make it more negative the nine players that you'd count out 400 how many actually learnt their trade here so what you see with Joffrey Archer is he you know English heritage of course but he came over and Chris Jordan Chris Jordan similar sort of thing yeah. we've got a guy at Surrey Nico Reef, a great English heritage but again learnt his trade in the West Indies so then you start to say well those nine players look more like two or three that we've inspired through our system yeah. so it makes you realise look we've got to do something and we are starting from baseline uh, what has been so nice today though I've spoken to people who are like I'm sending my kid like he, he likes sport or she likes sport mm. 
Um, and so they, they want to see what's out there. So, you know, I think by having these conversations, by giving it airtime, it can really change the landscape. So March the 4th and the 11th at, at the Keir Oval, you've got these uh, free open days where people can come along, a kind of talent... Um, what sort of kind of talent assessment yeah, sort of session? Yeah, open days, assessment days, and we're also offering up free membership. So oh. a lot of people like a Surrey membership. We're giving a Pride Alliance to every kid who puts their name forward and comes down, um, and that means they can come with a, an adult to every single county game. That might include the Surrey games, the T20s. So there's a, you know there's a lot to take from that, plus freebies, you know, hats, T-shirts, meeting role models. So we're going to have players down there, coaches. Good. And what is interesting about cricket is that, I mean, we hear a lot now about women becoming involved in football, playing and commentating, but cricket's led the way for a very long time. I mean, women's cricket's been really popular for some time. It's been given full coverage on Sky in a way that women's football isn't even and women commentators and there's no other sport that's got as many mm. commentators commentating on men's cricket as as, as cricket uh, sorry men's version as cricket yeah you're you're right it has um I've been surprised at how fast things have moved like mm. when I first started playing if I'm honest no one cared about women's cricket at all really it was kind of bottom of the pile but then there was this kind of real acceleration maybe 10 years ago um, I think 2009, so I was part of that squad that won the World Cup Ashes and T20 all in one year. Mm. All of a sudden, things just started to spiral. More interest, more TV coverage. Uh, like you say, media started letting us all um, come on and sort of start sharing our views. And it's been well-received, actually. We've, you know, the, there's been a lot of support. And now we're at the the top of it, really. So, um, look, this is what's really nice at the moment. I think we're at a time of history where change is happening, opportunities are opening up, so time to capitalise. You, you mentioned Joffre there, and uh, it's been a bit of a frustrating tour for him, South Africa, isn't it? And he mm. picked up with a knock, just warming up for the the final test. I mean, he's a very important part of the setup. It's going to take him a while, though, isn't it? It's been an awful lot happening at once and you expect him to just go anywhere such a difference between playing five day cricket and bowling four overs in the T20 absolutely if we're honest he's been flogged a bit in 2019 he's Mm. over bowled you know Mm. a a bowler of his sort of pace should be bowling four over spells five over spells in test cricket maximum Mm. and you come in for that sort of you bowl 90 miles an hour and done and we saw him come in in that Lord's test the the one that he uh, floored Steve Smith and he did that but he was Joe Root just kept going, go on, keep going, keep going. And straight away, commentators, everyone's going, calm down, don't keep bowling. And he's in mm. every single series, bowled more overs than everybody. Mm. And you start to go, well, look, he's going to break at some point. Same with Mark Wood, you yeah. know. Look how long it's taken to get Mark Wood back to fitness. Again. And there's no point if these blokes can't bowl ninety. There's no, no. there's no point playing him. You might as well play Wokes or somebody. You know, yeah. who's got a bit more does a bit more with the ball. Yeah, know? we've got loads of eighty mile an hour seamers, haven't we? Who, who who nicely shape the ball, and I think that's our specialty in English cricket. But when you get these rare sort of finds, we've got to look after them. So exciting to see Mark Wood do his thing in that last test. Joffre showed in the first test that you know he's still got a fiver, even though it was a flat well, he's wicket. Done three fivers, not bad in a short. Seven tests. Do you know Andrew Flintoff only's got four fifers. Wow. So it can't. It, and how many tests he? And any, I was there that day at Lords. Anybody that was there, and watching on telly as well, but especially when you were there, that was as exciting Savage, to get. It? It was, <laughs> you, it you was, like you like him being rough. Thrilling, wasn't it? It was absolutely brilliant. You are the director of uh, women's cricket at Surrey, and of course, the, the women are involved in the hundred. How do you think that's going to go? It's, it's it's an interesting one. It is an interesting one. I think something needed to happen in terms of an exciting format. We're going to see more of it on free-to-air TV. So there's a real chance to do something. I'm not sure uh, if it needed to be so revolutionised. I think we've seen T20 be so successful full stop. I think T20 would be fine. 
what now it's happening i think everyone's just got to get on board and and mm. and, and get behind it uh, it's interesting because you talked inside the cricket circle and we're much more sort of against it and we, we we hark back to you know in 1990 we did this or in 1845 but actually when you speak to people who are outside it they're just like oh i saw this thing and it looks cool yeah so Let's just hope that we make it cool enough and mm. spread the word enough that that audience start to love it as much as we do. Yeah, and coming back to this, the Afro-Caribbean engagement programme that you're involved in, something Paul said to me, always said to me, is true, you used to go to cricket when you were young. And it's not just the people who are playing cricket, it's the people who are watching cricket has mm. changed. I know yeah. that's a lot to do with the, the price of how expensive it is. But, you know, you look back on those old footage and you see the West Indies in their heyday and you just see the crowd is just full of Caribbean people. Yeah, massively. I think the crowds change. You know, when you talk to people who would have watched the West Indies when they came over in their pomp, you know, you, you had a different atmosphere at the crowd. You know, there were there were musical instruments. It, it was, was great. Yeah, and, you you know, the, the banners, the, the energy... Um, and it's definitely gone to the wayside. The ticket prices have hiked up and maybe put some people off. Um, but I, I feel that there's a chance, you know, with this summer, it'd be interesting to see. I know there's talks with, at the Oval, for example, we're looking at putting some interesting uh, music options in terms of steel bands and stuff like that, which are exciting the community already. So I think there's things that can be done to start bringing back that atmosphere. But without it, I think we've definitely lost the What crowd. about walk-up? Because that's the thing that I hear from West Indian people. Mm. That the, you know, they used to just be able to go to the game and they don't like this thing where you've got to plan it three weeks in ahead or six months well, ahead. Most of the time, you've, got, you've basically got to get into a ballot, haven't you? You've well, got that's to plan for it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but even for T20, you know, yeah, yeah, if there's yeah, a big yeah. Surrey-Middlesex game... Tickets you, are gone. They're absolute, selling, like, yeah. we've already put... Uh, so I'm just talking about us at Surrey, but we, our tickets are already, you know, you're seeing that movement already and by the time you get you're missing out you're, you're yeah. way too behind so you're right I think we can be more creative with how we create opportunities for tickets I think and, and um, just opening up that access and you're right ticket prices have been pretty high when it comes to test cricket but T20s uh, the 100 they're going to be priced quite nicely so maybe that's a chance to really mm. start bringing people back in Final one very quickly your chairman uh, Richard Thompson mm. has said today he'd quite like to say well the FA Cup's under a bit of pressure he'd like to see a cricket FA Cup including the minor count is a chance of a giant killing oh, maybe. we don't need more cricket well, no but he <laughs> said the Royal London sake. the Royal London one day <laughs> cup could go all and right. you could have a kind of minor <laughs> counties and the regular counties all playing so you would get situations where a minor county could beat a big county and you could have a big final state that's quite I, an interesting I idea. think it's an interesting do you know I'm not a football fan I have to be honest but I, I watched big games I watched it was last year was Watford Man City. City yeah and as you sit there you think okay so you got your big team and you got your maybe you know your next team coming up in football it works because people just get behind their local team mm. like it's almost like an underdog could take on a big and, and people love that that would be a way of keeping all the counties happy because, let's be honest, some of the smaller counties, North and Star, but they're not going to get a look in on this new wavelength. So they would all get a chance to have a dip. Mm. And then a team like North Ants, who've done really well, as I say, say it slightly politely, but they, you know, some of them are not the most well-tuned athletes, but they can whack a ball and they've had a lot of success. So mm. I would love to see something like that. So if you've got uh, 11 to 18-year-old kids, or indeed you are 11 to 18, you're listening this afternoon in the car maybe, coming back from school, and you fancy getting along to the Kia Oval on uh, the 4th or the 11th, uh, do they need to kind of get in touch first? Or yeah, so if they get on the website, there's links all over and you can just book a slot. Get get in early because um, hearing that, that it's sounding good. So yeah, just get onto the website. All they have to do is put their name and lock it in and there's a spot for them. And you're available then if somebody's looking for a drummer? 
get, yeah, get in I am, touch. Uh, any, anything you need, any tunes, any any sort of any genre. Any particular music, musical styles well, I that like, you favour? I, I like a bit of soul, but okay. I'm down for rock, I'm down for metal, whatever's okay. going. There we are. Good to see you, everybody. Thanks for coming Thanks for having me. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast from TalkSport. There we are. That was this afternoon's show. We'll return tomorrow from one. Tim Vickery will take any questions you have. The last knockings for the window closes. Yeah. Any last minute South Americans you're looking to sign? And uh, we'll look ahead. Yeah, that desperate stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just anybody. Carlos kickable time, isn't it? Signed we have signed a couple. Yeah, well, I think we needed to. Blimey. Definitely. Anyway, I'm sure there'll be more transfer chat as well, generally. So until then, thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast. Hear the guys every weekday between 1 and 4 p.m. on TalkSport. Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now. And we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas, you will be timed. Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have like, you know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. <laughs> a lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, yeah, you, you were different. And so much more. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.